Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is Olympic gold medalist, Dr. Lauren Burns. And she's done it. Lauren Burns from Melbourne, the 26-year-old, has won a gold medal for Australia, the first ever in taekwondo. All right, there you go. <laughs> Can you hear us now? Are we in your ear holes? Turning you down. <laughs> All right, that's better. Hang on. I've got coffee and water. And- yep, I got my water. <laughs> Everything. All the things. <laughs> How have you been? Really good. I feel like everything's just um, crazy back into life yeah. at the moment. Yeah, it feels like that. Hey. Which is really good. Like I'm so excited for all of the things that are happening mm. and all of the inquiries and it just feels exciting. I'm just turning my phone off as well. Um, yeah, so that feels great. And I, I feel like I love doing all the things like driving my kids around to every all their things. And, mm. yeah, it's busy but it's, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, it's, it's a funny, <laughs> I don't know, it's a funny period of time because like COVID is still around <laughs> it's like it hasn't, yeah exactly. it hasn't disappeared. if not it's like kind of worse in some ways in a lot of ways probably but we've we're just kind of getting on with it now and it's yeah yeah feels like old times but also new times yeah through a different lens we've all kind of got this but I mean you know I, I I've done some really great events recently like speaking gigs where you know, it's the first time people have actually caught up in two or three years and, yeah. you know, staff that have been working together and have never met each other. And so, like, there's a real energy in the room when mm. you have that kind of an event. Like, people are buzzing. And so that's been really, I, I felt kind of privileged to watch some of that happen in different companies. Yeah. Do you feel like you're, yeah. are, are you, would you consider yourself an extrovert or are you like an extroverted introvert? I'm not an extrovert. Okay. I'm definitely either just an introvert. (laughs) Just straight up. Or an extroverted (laughs) introvert. Yeah. So, like, I would always consider myself an introvert, but how you can put me on a stage in front of a thousand people and Mm. I don't mind. So, it's kind of weird. (laughs) Yeah. So, you must be an extroverted Um, introvert because that's that's how I would label myself, I think. Yes. So, and that's only come about really because of sport. Um, You know, I never would have had the confidence to get up on stage or speak or, you know, in, in even all through my early 20s I was doing some speaking with a brown sport, you know, and through the VIS and going out for, with their sports persons in schools program. So, but that was, you know, that was small little intimate groups of, you know, school kids. Yeah. So it was kind of, you know, and I, in what many ways I was unpacking a lot more of what my sport involved and explaining the rules and bringing my gear and teaching a class and Mm. so it was kind of very different Mm. yeah there's some real power in like being able to talk about something that you know so well like I I know I felt the exact same way like I was so introverted as a kid like did not want to get up and do speeches in front of the classroom but as soon as I got good at swimming and I was talking about swimming or myself they're the two things that I know the most in the world about and you're like oh I can talk about that that's easy. Yeah exactly and it's just and also you know when I feel like I cut my teeth on talking to 
with students because they're just so in the moment and they just ask anything and they, you know, like you have to really be in the moment and engage with because otherwise <laughs> they're, all, they're all over you. You know, like definitely my hardest group was year nine boys. That was really, you know, they were tough. You know, they're just like, can you do a karate kick? Can you do this? Can you do that? You know, they're all about martial arts. So, um, you know, and you've just kind of got to be really present and authentic. And so I guess I've kind of always carried that that through. So mm. let's go back to the beginning. I learnt that you only started uh, in your mm. sport when you were 14? Yep, 14. And, yeah, well, I just started really because my brother wanted to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and that was pretty <laughs> cool. He was seven in the 80s and he was into all that stuff. So that was fine and then really you know it wasn't until he did a flying sidekick through the lounge room window that my mum was like right okay down to the local martial arts club so <laughs> it was just <laughs> and now I, you know like I see my kids doing crazy shit around the house and I'm mm. like yeah all right and I can sort of see that in retrospect how that all happened and my dad started at the same time, so they went down together and I just thought it was really nice the bonding thing that they did together and I had, you know, all kinds of things happen to me as a teenage girl mm. and so I always felt unsafe in many ways and wanted to learn how to protect myself. Yeah. And so I, I just didn't know where to go though and then I saw my, you know, Ninja Turtle brother and my dad and I'm like, well, they're not going to have teenagers they're just going to have ninja turtles and old men so um <laughs> i won't go there <laughs> but then they just kept hassling me they're like come down you know come down it's great you'll love it you'll love it and of course i walked into the club and there's like all different ages and mm. i just thought yeah this is great so i just went along and i think for a 14 year old girl to keep coming back is pretty impressive so yeah. i just went back the next week and the next week and i just did it like that and i'd actually been to a like I, the school that I went to didn't believe in any competitive sport. So right. I came from this upbringing that was quite sort of alternative in a way. Um, my parents were into this Guru Maharaji who they've kind of followed around the world and learnt meditation and became vegetarian when I was little. So I became vegetarian when I was three. And then, yeah, I just, it wasn't until I went in my first competition that I kind of really got the hunger for it. And it was like the comp was pretty crazy. <laughs> Um, and it really, I had no idea what to expect. And, you know, being in the ring, it's very overwhelming. You know, you've got someone, you know, I guess it's with, you know, a lot of combat sports or even, you know, team sports where things are really happening and plays happening around you. But, you know, essentially someone's trying to kick you in the head as hard as they can. <laughs> and so it's all like, oh, like in class, I'm really good. I know how to do these moves. But when, you know, and obviously even in sparring, but, in the ring, it's really different. So when I came away from that, well, firstly, I never wanted to do it again. Really? And then after that, oh, yeah, I was like, that is the worst sport in the world. Like who would seriously put themselves in a position where they want to be kicked? And <laughs> yes, that's partly why I wanted so, to do this interview. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, okay, stuff that. But then I just had this real hankering kind of or this feeling in myself that I hadn't done my best. And I was like, oh, I could be better than that. You know, that girl wasn't better than me. Like we were really similar, This the girl that I fought in my first fight. And, and so I just sort of made it my goal that I was going to learn and kind of even understand the rules. Like I'd never been in a comp before. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't, 
I didn't really know how to score him. I'd never worn any of the chest guards and head guard and everything. So, yeah, I thought I just want to prove to myself that I can be better, be who I know that I am really mm. when I'm at practice. So I thought I'll train, learn the rules, beat the girl, then I'll quit. Um, <laughs> just the one. I'm just gonna, I'm uh, yeah. just going to beat the one girl and then I'm done. <laughs> That was really what it was because she was my benchmark. I was like, well, if I can beat her, I've proved to myself that I'm okay. Oh, you know, I've understood a bit of this game. And, yeah, then I just, you know, got together with a friend of mine at the club and we just started training together. And, you know, I think something I learned really early on at that time was around asking questions and we used to ask a lot of questions. So I used to always ask all the people who were had made national teams back then or were doing quite well, you know, what do you do? How do you train? How many sets do you do? How many reps can you come and show me? And we used to, the Taekwondo club was at a little scout hall a couple of streets away and we got the key to that club, that scout hall, and we would go there early in the morning before school or, you know, after school I'd go there. I'd get people to meet me there to show me what sort of technique you know, what I should be doing, how I should be training. And wow. I think that, you know, that really kind of, I guess that that put the fire in the belly. But then that also gave me an understanding. And I, something I think is really key for athletes is, you know, to be a knowledge seeker and to, you know, to ask and find things and, and work out what's right for them personally. You know, there's not one model that fits all athletes mm. for that sport. So, um, you know, and I think that's that's imperative in you know, business and life and all yeah. sorts of things, asking questions. You don't have to take their advice. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if someone says something where you're like, oh, yeah, that really would work for me, I'll give that a go. Or, no, that doesn't work for me and now I know that. So, um, you know, that was really formative. But I think that's something that people are afraid of doing because they feel like they should just know. <laughs> it's like, no, you shouldn't just yes. know yeah, how to do that's something. Right. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we work out what suits us and what we can then go and build on that creates the foundations for us to go and thrive in this world don't you think yeah that's right and I I didn't realize that other people didn't really do that so much but I found (laughs) that asking you know and just really and I guess my friend Donna so she was um you know she was an amazing athlete in her own right in terms of you know at school sports and she could just do anything she was and so she would often sort of push me to do things and we would set up a little video camera and we would film ourselves um, and then go. And that was a lot, like, back in those days. How you know, old were you at this iPhone. stage? Like, that's amazing. Oh, I would have been 16. Wow. 17, 16. And then we had at the AIS um, when they were first kind of learning about us because as we were starting to become an Olympic sport, you know, it was like, oh, who are these taekwondo guys? We better check out. What you know, and that was sort of understanding, well, we're a power sport, we're a speed sport, mm. we're an endurance sport because we fight all on one day. So there's lots of, diff- you know, where do we fit in? And they were doing all these tests for us. Unfortunately, they would get, like, all the national team members around or, you know, national players around the world and they'd get us all together. And usually the first training session would end in some sparring and then we'd kick the crap out of each other. <laughs> No one could do the testing because we'd all be so bruised and beaten up. Anyway, that happened almost every time we went to the AIS. But one time we had this girl there who was this Korean world champion and she was just amazing. And so I said to the 
sports med people, you know, in biomechanics, I'm like, can you film her and can you get her to do, I want this kick, I want this kick, I want this kick and I want, you know, I want it like this and I want it from this angle. And then I went back and I filmed myself doing those things and then I went to the VIS and I got them to split the images and overlap them so I could copy my technique to fit her. And, you know, again, easy. We can do that on our phones now. But splitting screens and merging images and things like this, you know, that was sort of... I had to go in and do it with the biomechanics tech guys in there. But that was really influential because things like, you know, turning my supporting foot properly and hip placement and all these elements that then allowed for better technique, which was, you know, obviously more precision and speed and power and everything and less injuries. So, you know, things like that were I used to do a lot of that kind of thing, like always trying to problem solve and think how can I do it myself even if I don't. Even if my coach isn't getting me to do that, I didn't expect him to to come up with every idea. <laughs> that's I yeah. just I find that so fascinating because that's something that a lot of people wouldn't even think to do, especially. Um, and, and I'm putting myself in this category. A lot of athletes because I <laughs> I'm a very good athlete in that I can be told exactly what to do and I can yeah. do a bloody good job of that <laughs> and, and possibly go beyond it because I have that structure and foundation to move from but to actually then think about stuff outside of what you're being told and exploring that extra stuff. But like you also have a – like you had a program. We didn't really have a program. Like, yeah. So swimming, you know, it's been established. It's been an Olympic sport for a long time. We had these – you know, we were like in – I don't know, doing crazy martial arts practices that, like, nearly killed everyone. (laughs) So, you know, I was trying to bring myself into this new sports science dimension in a way. Like, yeah, um, yeah, and I was trying, I guess because when I got a VIA scholarship with the VIS, that was really, really, it changed my trajectory in many, many ways. Um, But it also allowed me to see things through that, you know, I had access to a lot of support services Mm. that I could then say, oh, how do I do this? How do I apply this to my sport? And, you know, the the people in there were were just so experienced with dealing with so many different sports. So they really guided me in in so many different, different aspects of training. I'm really fascinated to go back to your kind of upbringing and to go from like obviously being an alternative in adverted commas sort of mm. lifestyle, learning about meditation, following um, a guru around the world, as you mentioned, vegetarianism, and then you go in and kicking the shit out of someone. I know. <laughs> like it seems very opposing. But do you feel like that upbringing allowed you to use those skills in the ring? In oh, way? absolutely. On the mat? But there's, I mean, there's so many different elements to this question really. I mean – Firstly, I think a lot of the the mind, body, spirit aspect of competing at an international level and competing, I guess, in a combat sport and all of the th- and the strategy that goes mm. on in in that it, with dealing with another human trying to you know <laughs> in combat. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of my like being having autonomy in my education and at home and being able to think. For, you know, I guess we were encouraged to think for ourselves and problem solve and. At our school, although we didn't have competitive sport, there was a lot of game playing and uh, making up games. So Mm. that was making up strategy and making it work and 
One of the things I found when I was doing my PhD was around gold medal winning athletes often have this background of unstructured play and early diversification. So when I look back, I had those things a lot. So I think definitely it helped mentally. But then, you know, in the other sense, you know, my best friend is interesting to talk to. I mean, she hates anything to do with (laughs) combat. She was all, I think she only went to two of my fights. Most of the time she hid under the chair. Um, (laughs) But she talks about how I was so process driven when I was an athlete that I had almost no emotion. You know, like she would say, I've hurt my hand, you know, and I'd be like, oh, get a Band-Aid. You know, there was not like, oh, are you okay? Or, gee, that must have hurt. Yeah, I can see that would hurt you. Whereas she said almost the moment that I stopped competing, you know, I walked off that mat in Sydney and never walked back on. She's like, all of a sudden you became human again and there was more empathy and it was more like, oh, like that, that, um, yeah, so I feel like in, in some ways there was kind of like this really clear time in my life when I was competing. I was incredibly focused and disciplined and focus-driven. But in many ways it was quite short. Yeah. You know, I was really competing internationally for seven years, which mm. in, in some ways is not that long. Yeah. Oh, it's a, well, yeah. as you know, like <laughs> as you get older, like seven years just goes in the blink of an eye and you're like, oh, yeah. shit, yeah. <laughs> what's happened? <laughs> Yeah. Incredible. So you started when you were 14. So what what year are we in there? That's what, 1990? I did my first comp. I was about 16. That's when I kind of really realised that I wanted to be doing this thing. Mm. And then then I kind of was at a crossroads because I, I really wanted to get into fine art. So doing painting was what I wanted to do. And I did quite well in art at year 12. That was my main thing. <laughs> fine art and like combat martial arts sport. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I even won like the top top arts, you know, the state, one of the awards for fine art. And wow. Thing. And I was like, yeah. So anyway, I had an exhibition and things like that. And then I thought, well, I can Anyway, I had do... an exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only do sport now. Yep. And then I can always come back to art. Yeah. And go to art school. So that was kind of, yeah, like I did all the interviews and, you know, with art school, you have to do, show your CV and folio and all that. So I did all that. And then I thought I'd come back to it, which I never had, which I <laughs> didn't do. But that first trip that I got selected on was the World Championships and it was at Madison Square Garden. Wow. And that was just like that blew my mind. Mm. <laughs> so I went to New York and I had, we had to pay half of our trip anyway, so to buy our tracksuit, pay our own way, you know, they, I think they gave us some of the half the airfare or whatever. And I thought, well, stuff this, you know, because you know, I was 17, I was 18 probably then at that time. I finished school year 12 at 17. And I thought, well, if I'm saving all this money, then I worked really hard to save up for that and I'll just travel. Like, you know, I'll just do this world championships. And again, I won't, that's the end of Taekwondo. (laughs) But then when I saw this stadium and it was just like, and still there's not many events I've been to that have been like that. Like, Mm you know, having these all these different courts running and it was so American, like there was that whole like, and the flyweight champion of the world, you know, and I was like, I want to be the flyweight champion of the world. So 
Anyway, I had USA first fight and it was just terrible. I lost. No, <laughs> I had no. the whole of Madison Square Gardens chanting, you know, USA, USA. <laughs> like, oh, so, that's um, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that taught me about hometown advantage, which I had mm. the benefit of in Sydney. But, yeah, then I just had this real bug for it and I was just like, you know, I just love this kind of, yeah, the energy and the and that whole thing again of wanting to be better. Like I fought this girl from the states. We were, again, I reckon she scored a few points that weren't really points. So I was a bit peeved at that. But you know, it was like oh, I want to be better. That I'm so much better that I just you know I'm unbeatable. So you know, I just really came back to training, um, put my head down, and that's all I wanted to do. So how long was it between that event and and Sydney two thousand? Oh, that would have been 93. Okay. Was it at that moment that you went, this is what I want to do, I want to go towards Sydney 2000? Well, we weren't even an Olympic sport. At that stage? Far out. That came probably 93, 94. Okay. But at that point it was all about Worlds. So we had World Cup, we had Asian Games, that was sort of what we could go to, but we couldn't even imagine going to all of the European Opens then or anything because we couldn't afford that. Mm. Like our sport didn't fund us to do it and, you know, there's all these Belgium Open, Dutch Open, all these amazing events, so that was off, off the radar. So and Asian Games was a benchmark. So it was really about winning the Worlds and they're, you know, every two years in Taekwondo. So that's really what I set my sights for. But I'll never forget when we did get the decision that we were going to be an Olympic sport or it was kind of close, like it was announced that these are the weight divisions and this is what we're, you know, it's going to be Sydney and we were just, I just, because also the weight divisions are very different yeah olympics and they are for world so i knew then that what weight division i wanted to be in and i just was like i'm going i'm going and that's what weight i'm gonna be wow (laughs) so did you have to so what weight division were you was was that the one that was in the olympics or did you have to like specifically work no i had to yeah i had to change so in taekwondo there's normally eight weight divisions and I would sit around 55 kilos or 53 at a really lean training weight and then I'd drop into 51. So 51 was my always my competition weight. But for the Olympics, there's only four divisions. And so that changes. It's quite complex because they become 10 kilo gaps. You know, wow. you've got bigger people broader across that weight division. And so I had the decision to either go under 49 or under 57. Now, because I'd been competing at 51, Mm. 57 was sort of too high and the girls would have been much taller. It would have been quite a different tactical game. Yeah. So choosing your weight division is really important. I mean, that's strategy in itself. (laughs) It is totally strategy. I mean, like our our heavyweight, Daniel, um, Danny Trenton, so he won silver at uh, Sydney. He was like a natural welterweight middleweight mm. and he went up into heavyweight because the heavyweight guys are often a lot bigger and like a bit slower and mm. he was really fast and dynamic. So he did heaps of strength training and put on weight to go up into that division. So it really is very, it's also strategic on who's there, like yeah. where your opponents are, where you've got the best chance. And so I was sort of taller in that 49 uh, not next to the girl from Chinese Taipei. She was still even taller than me. Wow. Um, but I'm really passionate about not sweating off weight, not mm. running it off, 
not doing all of those practices that are very cultural in martial arts. So mm. they're in, you know, they're in, you know, there's sports where it's kind of seen as a rite of passage. Like yeah. you, you put on all your sweat gear and sit in the sauna or run it off. Yeah. But when you've done this beautiful taper, you know, you've worked with your strength coach and your um, high performance coach or whatever to get to where you want to be and you've had this gorgeous taper so that you're just flying on the day and then that morning you wake up and put your sweats on and just try and sweat two kilos off. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So, and I've done it before where I haven't quite made a weight division and I've really noticed that I don't have the same decision-making time. You know, I don't have that sort of clarity in fast reaction, split-second decisions that I have to make in a final. Like they might, you might be all right in your first fight, but you've gone all day and you've been fighting all day and then in the end you're just like, you're so dehydrated. Yeah. So with the weight class, so you obviously have to hit the weight and then is it like boxing where you can put on as much as you want within 24 hours? Is that the same sort of idea? I think they're changing it now. I think it might have even just changed because they've had a lot of death. Well, not a lot of deaths in (laughs) boxing, but they've had had deaths in MMA. Yeah. Like with people trying to make weight. Yeah, because they it often it's this is what I mean by it's cultural. It's often not regulated by the coaches. And so the athletes are like chatting with their other teammates and their teammates like, oh yeah, okay, hang on, I'll come out with you and skip, you know, and then oh here, wear my sweat gear. Oh, here, wear my protectors. And and so they're doing things, they're not regulated, they're not monitored, they're d- completely dehydrated. <laughs> and so I think they're trying to change those practices that's great so I wasn't really care you know I was yeah it is it's really really good and I mean I've been sort of campaigning for this for a long time um but when when I was competing I wasn't really worried about dying I probably would have you know done anything to win Mm. (laughs) but I knew that sweating that much fluid off was not gonna and draining everything that I'd done for my muscles to be fast and powerful and explosive was going to affect my performance so I had a bone density scan done and I had a naturopath and I had a, the dietitians and, you know, they were all worried about me being vegetarian, well, the dietitian was, but they said it's unsafe to ever sit at 49 kilos, like with your bone density, so you have to just come down and hit it on the day. Mm. And so I was, I was 40, I weighed in at 48.98, wow. so 20 grams. And that was because I, you know, I'd practiced it. I knew what I was doing. I'd, I'd cut weight so much before I knew what not to do, what to do. Yeah. And the day before, though, I was pretty, <laughs> pretty thirsty. It's <laughs> yes. pretty hungry. But even that in yeah. itself, the fact that you're thinking differently around cutting weight and, you know, not just going with the crowd in terms of, you know, packing sweats on and, you know, doing all that sort of extra yeah. stuff. Like that, yes. you, your ability to think differently about how to perform and, you know, how to utilise the things that are available to you, even though they're brand new and no one's actually mm. ever done it yet for your sport. Like that's remarkable that you've had that kind of mindset from such a young age. Yeah, I think I, I was very clear on what was right for me mm. um, and I was pretty argumentative. So I would fight my coach a lot. We had a lot of arguments which, um, you know, I think in the end was good for us because we do, knew where we stood. But, you know, for example, sometimes we'd get back from a big, you know, we'd been months in Korea or we'd been on a big world tour and I'd come home 
And I would say to him, I have to go and visit my parents and they lived in Tasmania. And he would be so angry with me. He'd be like, you can't go and you, you can go for two days. I'm like, I'm not going for two days. I'm going for a week and I'll be back. And a week is going to be fine. Yeah, we'll <laughs> be fine. In the whole scheme of things. <laughs> um, and he'd get really mad at me. But I would go over there and I would actually sleep for a week. I just, like, I would... I would sleep in like the deepest sleep that I've probably ever known. And I would, you know, it was like Goldilocks. I'd come out, eat my food, go back to bed, you know, sleep in all the different beds in the house. And I would just, like, I just needed that, you know, my mum's cooking. But I felt that real nourishment of needing to rest. Yes. And sometimes it's hard to say that yes. and be really clear on that. And I found that, you know, that was something that I really fought for. And I need I needed that for my because I would come back and I'd be invigorated and recharged and enthusiastic and I was you know but this is exactly right and it it's such a it goes against everything that society is about these days which is just hustle grind work never rest and there's like this real pride in this like constant yes. work ethic and it's like the place where growth happens is when you allow your body and your mind to rest. And then you can take it to another level. Like it's something that I felt like I knew intuitively as an athlete and obviously you were able Mm. to articulate that and tell your coach what you needed, which is amazing. But it's like people don't know that. It's like you need rest. No, and often that's where where you get these beautiful moments of inspiration as well. Yes. So I found that I would, when I was on holiday or resting or doing something like that, then I'd come up with great ideas. And, I mean, even at one point when that, when, and you would have had this sort of info leading into a games where everyone's like, okay, now don't change anything. Like don't do anything different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, shit, I have to. I've got to move out of where I am. So I was in a share house with people I loved and it was fantastic, but it was kind of inner city, it was busy, there was lots of people in the house. And I ended up moving out to sort of out of Melbourne um, where it was more, there was more trees and it was further from training. So I had more driving, more petrol. Mm. And I mean, we were only on the Olympic athlete program, we were on $42 a week. So a lot of my <laughs> petrol was, that was, you know. <laughs> I didn't cover that. But I used to walk with my dog because I found walking to help me lose the weight without, I didn't, because I didn't want to run anymore, Mm. you know, because I was already doing, you know, three hour aerobic session and a, you know, weight session or an individual sometimes. So I just do, to lose that weight in the last three months, I had to walk a lot. And what I found was walking where I moved to around the trees and, I just meant that I like I I got to process a lot of strategy then as well and think about fights and really because I really loved the sport like I loved the strategy and so I would that's when a lot of my great ideas would come to me was in that time of walking and recharging and Mm. giving myself the right environment that gave me that yeah whereas you couldn't have done that in the city where it's all bustling and it's like noisy yeah yeah yeah, I, that's just what I needed. And I just, and I remember my sports site saying, yeah, so no move, no, don't change anything. And I was like, okay, well, hang on one more. I'm just going to move house and then I'll, then I'll, then, I'll then I won't it. change anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. So can you yeah. tell me, tell me about the Sydney Olympics? Tell me about that moment. Tell me about that day. Like, what was that oh like? 
for you? I mean, it's a big question. I apologise. It's so weird going back to that time. Yeah. Um, okay. Like, firstly, I was just only going there to win. I just 100 <laughs> Just a really small that. goal. Just gold or nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. But I was so, like, I was so focused and I, I, I didn't get involved in anything. You know, like, we were right at the end of that two weeks, so... Um, oh, that's shit. You know, not like the, the swimmers. Yeah, we're <laughs> I done mean, they were all there watching my event, which was great. They were, because that's what, you know, we saw all the athletes like finishing their events and there was always free tickets in the village. You could get event, you know, tickets to anything. And it was just like they were handing things out. Go support our team, you know, whatever. Like but I'm we still competing. Like, <laughs> yeah. So actually we went, we came into the village, we marched and then we went to back out to the AIS and at that time we were a bit, you know, peeved at that decision. So all the all of our team were like, oh, we don't want to go anywhere. We're just set up here. Mm. We've just, like, got settled. We know where everything is. We know where it's physio, sports science, mm. here. We, you know. And then they were like, no, no, we're going to the AIS. So even at that point, you know, going through security, getting on another flight, just everything took so long. Mm. And we got to the AIS though, and it was amazing because it was no one was there, mm. and we just had the run of the place. We got some players, international athletes who'd come as training partners, so we had like this really high quality level of training. And then we could utilize sports science, sports med. We could use the you know hot and cold plunge pool, and we just really we needed that. And we watched on everything on TV. And then we went back into the village really fresh. So I think it was a good decision in mm. the end. And, yeah, I was just very, again, so process-driven. I knew the strategy of all my opponents and I'd studied them so much. I'd fought them so many times. They were all, it was always going to be close. Like, yeah, it was just, yeah. But I just had this sense that if I, I had this feeling that if I gave every single part of my being that was more than you know, physical elements. It was almost like a spiritual thing that mm. if I gave everything of myself, that I would that I would win. But I had to be prepared to give that. Like mm. I couldn't hold anything back because I knew the competition was so fierce. I respected them all and thought so highly of these athletes. And I just, you know, knew that it had to be, you know, my best performance. And it wasn't about whether my kicks were going to be the fastest. It was going to be about how shrewd I was in the ring, how I could control the fight, how I could. At that point, now there's electronic sensors in the chess guards, but then you had to, you had three judges and two of them had to see the point and click their button within one second. Wow. So if they think it's a point, they're like, oh, I heard the pop. Was that red or blue? Not sure. I don't want to score it. So when you are setting up your opponent, you have to angle them towards the judges to make sure as you set up and then score so that they see it. And so there's also quite a lot of theatrics around, the, you know, in the ring as well, You're gesturing and, yeah, that was my point. Of course it's my point. Oh, was, you know, so there's all that. that it's like on. bravado almost, like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, 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 it is. Because you And you well, you're also like showing the point more than, so now that doesn't really matter. So the whole game's changed as well because actually it has to register with enough force. Mm. So it's very different sort of game. So but, tell me about the actual because it's it all happens on one day, right? 
It all happens on one day. So you only get the draw a couple of days before. And I had this girl from Chinese Taipei and she was the two times current world champion. Oh, cool. That's yeah. Fine. And I knew she <laughs> was mine to beat. <laughs> yes. But I just knew I was going to have her first. And I'd fought her at the Worlds the year before and it was probably one of the toughest fights I've ever had in terms of the concentration level. Like I felt like in that fight in Canada, it was like you could slice a knife through the air, like just the just the tension. Mm. And, you know, there was so much movement back and forth without even kicking. It was just because we were reading each other so much. The only thing that scored really was head kicks. Um, and it was just one kick each. It was like I'd get a point and she'd get a point. It'd be even for, you know, quite a while. Then she'd get a point and I'd get a point and it'd be even. And then and so it went like that for three rounds. And right in the last few seconds of that last round, I thought I'd been playing a defensive game and at that point if it was a draw, it would go to the aggressor. So I knew that if it stayed a draw, the referee would give her the fight. Mm. So that was aggressive match management was what the rules were then. So I thought in those last couple of seconds, I have to, it was a, it was a draw, I have to score to seal the match. Otherwise I won't get the decision anyway. So as I kick, she kicks underneath and she scores. So she wins. <sighs> And it was the worlds where I thought I was going to win. I really thought that was my one. I was really ready. And I had her first fight and I came away and I, you know, I thought I've got no real ranking here. You know, um, I'd won a bronze medal at the previous worlds. And I just was devastated in that moment. Kind of my world crumbled. Mm. And then I just thought to myself, okay, like this is not the end. The Olympics is what the real, that's the next focus. So I just picked myself back up. And I got my little video camera and I just sat there and I filmed every one of her fights. Like the next, she had quite a few fights that day and she had the Korean, oh, she just smashed everyone. <laughs> smashed the Korean in the final, like by five points or something. And I was like, I was so close. I yeah. am so close. And I got back to Australia and I said to my strength coach, she's like, all right, what do we do? Are we going back to the drawing board? And I was like, uh-uh, we are bang on. It was just that. You know, that was a strategy decision. Yeah. And I I just have to, yeah, work that out. So I then had those fights and, again, I just watched them over and over and over and over and I just picked her, like, everything I knew. <laughs> like, I really knew what she was going to do more than she knew what she was going to do. And so then when I got that drawing lot at, you know, at the Olympic Games, it was just like, yeah, of course I've got her. That's yeah. just my one. That's the one to beat. And I had been doing this short axe kick, so that was one of my favourite kicks. And it's very, it's not like the movies. It's not Jean-Claude Van Damme where it's like comes right up like a tree and smacks down <laughs> on the head. It's like very short and often they, you get them to walk into it. So you like bait them in. As they move, you do this thing. Anyway, and I'd practice that kick up against the wall every day, even on my days off. It was like that was the one kick and that was for her. <laughs> so... I just felt really ready. Yeah. Um, yeah, really ready to fight her. But this also this kind of impending sense of giving my heart and soul. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know what it's like when you yeah. before an event, you're going to go in and you 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 got to give this is it and everything, nothing else matters. It's and, and it's about being in that. You have got to be do it in the moment. <laughs> it's my I talk about the anticipation of the Olympics and that is probably one of my favourite things and one of the things that I miss the most is that sense yes. of anticipation 
of what's going to happen because you have. You've given yourself for years probably to work yeah, towards yeah, this yeah. moment, this moment, this split second. You know, for me it was like 53 seconds every four years you get the opportunity to do this. You may only wow. get, you may only get it once, you know, in your lifetime. And it's that anticipation to go, oh, it could either go as you hope or it could go the other way, but you don't know. You're you're in that that no, moment. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, so <laughs> yeah, the fight started with her and it was just like it was in Canada, like really, really intense. You know, there was just this concentration. Everything was just you know, we were both so switched on and axe kick work, so that was great. Again, mostly head kicks. <laughs> um, and then it, it ended up that it was a draw in the end, but the rules had slightly changed and you had to have won two out of the three rounds. So I had won two of those three rounds. So I think the crowd was all a bit like, oh, my God, it's a draw as it finished. But I was like, well, I've won two rounds. Yeah, I know I've got this. So it went to me. And that was a real shock because she was definitely the hero. Wow. Um, but in saying that too, she, you know, I mean, she was very, very, like she was an incredible athlete. But I did find out, so the day before when I was laying on my bed with the mantra that I had that was, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry. <laughs> the time I was just like <gasps> thinking of all these things, dreaming of all the water I was going to guzzle. And, you know, because once you've had, you feel like once you've done You've st- stood on the scales yep. and you, because I knew I had to, I could only be 200 grams over. I was already at that point, drunk enough water to be over 200 grams. That was it. Yeah. So then I was just fantasizing about food. And Paul came into my room, the other Finn weight, he knocked on the door and he goes, Oh, Loz, I've just been up at the gym and I've seen Taipei, she's in there sweating it off, ah. sweating weight off. And I was like, Oh, yeah, right. Cool, cool. That's good to know. Um, and he goes, but I waited and I watched her, you know, get down and jump on the scales and she was still two kilos over. <gasps> so she swept two kilos off that the day before. So, wow. you know, that weight really is a huge part of your ability to perform. Mm. Not to say that I wasn't fantastic on the day and just won because I was amazing. Because but, you were ready but for, for it. her, that's all. <laughs> yeah. But also her, you know, that preparation I think does does play a part. So then I had um, a girl from Denmark, and she was the two, she was the junior world champion, and she had um, come and trained with us for a while, and so I really knew her very well. Mm. And again, I knew that was going to be a really hard fight, and she's a really um, great defensive fighter. She's got an amazing back kick, and so what happened? I think though, because I'd beat, just beaten the world champion, and I think because the crowd, like the roar of the state sports center, was like nothing else, and because when you go to these big world events, they're often huge stadiums and they've got multiple rings all going at the one time and they usually have finals on one ring. But for Sydney they just had, it was a smaller stadium. So the State Sports Centre, you know, it's 10,000 people. It's not, you know, like the, the big massive stadium. Yeah. And it's old so the acoustics are very loud. And wow. so we had this incredible, and it's one court, so you just had this, like just this, it was just, I don't know, like the, the ring was just, oh, it was just incredible. It's hard to describe how it was just encapsulated around this ring, all these people that were just, there was this roar for any Australian that competed. So, amazing. you know, she would have heard that, I think, and then obviously she's fighting the Australian. So 
she was very defensive in the fight, probably more so than usual. And what happened is she kept kind of, there's like two boxes and you can't step outside of one of them without getting warned. But she kept moving outside of that that square, that inner square, and avoiding the fight. So the ref started, kept, started warning her and warning her and warning her and then marking, you get a half point deduction. So he would give her a half point deduction. And so then I started working those warnings more. I just kept pushing her out. Even mm. though I wasn't trying to score, I was just pushing her out of the ring. And so that became my strategy to work those warnings and get those deductions happening. And then obviously if I could score, I'd score. Yeah. So I was also trying to, you know, show the easy. Oh, she doesn't want to fight. Oh, yeah. she just, you know, and so that's all that theatrics of like, oh, she's out of the ring again. And you go, oh, half point deduction, half point deduction. Yeah. So. Because they're easy then, wins, right? Like that's an easy win for you. Yeah, like, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and it's playing that strategy at that time of that person. Yeah. We know what's going on. So back in the sort of ancient times of Sydney 2000, you had to calculate the deductions in your head or you could kind of see them. You could see the little markings, but they didn't come off your main score, which just seems ridiculous. So you had to know what was going on. You had to know, your coach had to know, whatever. And, you know, know as the ref's warning you where you're up to and what's happening. So I don't think, well, she she actually wasn't really on top of that. And so right in the last literally couple of seconds of the match, it was even and I was trying to work these warnings. And so two, for two half point deductions equals one whole minus point. And so right in the last part of the match, I was just pushing her and pushing her and pushing her out of the ring and she moved around and he stopped the stopped her and gave her this half point deduction. And that actually tipped her over so that she'd lost the fight in that moment. Wow. But she didn't realize. And there was this just this split second where I, as it happened, I looked at her dead in the eyes and I just pumped my fist like I was like, yes, I got it. Like it was seconds to go in the fight. And she looked at me with this kind of what, what are you, are you do- talking about? <laughs> what are you like, doing? She didn't get it. <laughs> And then the ref brought us back into the centre, fight stopped, he gave the decision to me and she just looked around like, what the hell happened? And wow. she looked back at her coach and she was like, what? And her coach was going, right, right, like he was just screaming and like, what the hell are you doing? So, again, it's all part of it. Yeah. This whole how you play the strategy, what's going on, making these decisions right at the end. Like I could have gone for another point that might not have happened because she was so good at her defence was so good. I mm. might not have got that point through. But if I kept pushing her out, then I was working the ref, you know, the fact that she was avoiding the yes. So Amazing. That was, And that was just like <laughs> I think my family and friends nearly had a heart attack, <laughs> you know, because it was so close, just so close. Mm. And then after that I had a break. Uh, before the final so I had a little sleep <laughs> as you so do that, again it comes back to process and rest and and rest that's right yep. and it's like what can I do right now I've got four hours I can stress for four hours mm. or I can do what I know I can cool down eat refuel stretch have a sleep then I can warm up yeah <laughs> refuel like I could do it and that's because you know I'm a professional I wasn't pro- paid like a professional athlete but I was a professional athlete like I knew the process so I just laid down her sleep and then yeah just started that process again got ready and so the girl that I had in the final was from Cuba and I'd fought her as well before previously and she was 
a really tough fighter, like really, what's the best way to describe it? Just tough, like hard, tough. Gritty. She, but she didn't have the kind of finesse that Taipei had. Like, the yeah, she was just like, yeah, incredible all-rounder, whereas Cuba was very like, like I was really bruised after that fight. I was mm. battered and bruised. Like her kicks were really, really hard and bony and mm. tough. And I knew that nothing would, you know, shock her because I'd fought her before at a world championships and I had back kicked her in the head actually and she fell to the ground and got back up like just dusted <laughs> the cobwebs out. Like there was nothing at, just. And I looked at my foot and, well, you're meant to be wearing a mouth guard, but she mustn't have been wearing a mouth guard because I had teeth marks in my in my heel and I just remember thinking, holy crap, like <laughs> this girl doesn't feel anything, you know. <laughs> So I knew, I think that was probably the scariest thing is knowing how tough she was. But, uh, yeah, also that one of the things that, you know, has happened many times before and I know it with other fighters too is that you don't want to underestimate that mm. person that you know isn't necessarily as good as, as, you know, like she wasn't as technically as proficient as the other girls that I'd fought that day. So for me I had to, you know, really hold her in high esteem and that respect and, you know, to be on hundred mm. percent um, because she yeah, was there too my... she was there she had the exactly. opportunity she you can you can capitalize on yeah. that and lift for That's the moment right. right yes yeah exactly so I think that I, I really knew with her in the first couple of seconds because as the fight started you always like the ref says to start mm. and then you do this like fighting move and you go like ha ah, and you you know do fighting stance yep. and so when I did that with her I was like ah, and she slightly faltered and that's when I was like I've got you <laughs> like it was just in that moment the way she kind of I just imagine it in your head you're like I got you bitch <laughs> I got you bitch whereas whereas like with the first fight with Taipei she was like is that all you got <laughs> it was that kind of difference yeah interesting. Um, in body language yeah you know, like yeah all right it's all that that showmanship in the ring so I feel like I that moment there I was sort of showed that I was ready to take that match and that yeah it was I mean I was definitely leading and felt like I had control of the fight the whole time um and she kicked me a couple you know she was kicking low quite a lot so I did come out quite battered and <laughs> after that um but yeah it was really just sort of and there was the famous sort of axe kick which everyone really remembers from that fight because that sort of sealed the match but that was that was very much you know a, a standard thing for me that kick um, and then in the last part of the round was just holding the points. Mm. So I was up and, again, you know, the game plan. So I was just kind of dancing really and just moving around and just avoiding the fight. So even if I got a warning, I wouldn't have cared because it was only a half point. It wouldn't have mattered. Mm. Um, but it was making sure I didn't get hit or knocked out. <laughs> yes. Something like that. Yeah. Was there a moment, obviously right at the start, where you did the, you know, the fighting stance yes. and you kind of, realized yeah. that you probably had her was that the moment that you kind of realized that you were going to win or was there a moment throughout the the actual fight that you went I've won I think all the all day I thought I was going to win anyway but and I think even even when I was down you know in the other fights where I was down I was still like I'm going to win I've just got to work my way out of this you know so there was never a doubt but, yeah, it was that first second moment that I felt like I was dominant mm. in, the in the match, whereas the other ones felt very equal. 
But then in that last few seconds, it was like, oh, I've got it. I've got it now. And it's just move around. Don't don't get hit. I love that. Because I, I had a moment yeah. before the hunter butterfly where I it wasn't I wasn't swimming I was walked out onto pool deck and I just knew that it was going to work <laughs> and it, it it's yes. not an arrogant like it like that sounds very mm-hmm. arrogant to kind of describe it like that but I just knew that I was ready I knew that I'd trained and I knew that if I had if I executed exactly what I had trained myself to do that I would be okay and that's how I thought about it. I thought about it as in I, I'll be okay, not I'm going to win, but like mm. and, but that yes. obviously then meant winning <laughs> in, in that yeah. circumstance. Yeah, I mean I've done a lot of work with my sports psych too around he kept saying, you know, you're doing an ordinary thing in extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. And I love that sense of it being ordinary. So I used to focus on that a lot, to, I think, to bring myself back to the normal and well, it's that thing of it's what I know. Yeah. This is it. It's this is my craft. Well, that's even what you described your your axe kick as. You're like, that's just what I did. Like yeah, <laughs> everyone right. kind of like thought that was pretty cool, but it's like it's just what I yeah, did. Yeah, I didn't All bring it time. out just yeah. for the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Exactly. It's like not my yeah. fancy kick, it's just my, you know, run of the mill axe kick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So but yeah, in that moment when I actually won. It was this sense in the moment of being, um, of course, that's it. I won. Like that was the process. Yeah. Like that part of the process of getting the decision by the ref was part of that plan. Yes. Yeah, and then being rushed off and, you know, then my coach picking me up and then then that was all a little bit more like my coach just picked me up and was, and this is going to, might be too much information for your listeners, but. Um, I often, you know, I'm a bit proud of it in, in some ways as well is because I had my I, I had my period when I was competing. That's amazing. I know. That's I know. amazing. And so my first thought, I've just won an Olympic gold medal and my first thought is my coach picks me up, he's like, am I bleeding through my pants? You know, like, <laughs> I've got oh my God. white go-bot pants Can on. you imagine? He's lifting me up to the whole of Australia to see my... <laughs> It's like every woman's worst nightmare. I know, I know. And then I'm like, put me down, put me down. Oh, no, it's too late. Like, whatever. I mean, I'm like, oh, thinking maybe I'm not. I don't know. Like, I don't even know what's going on. I just I can't deal. That's amazing. I know. I do find it pretty, pretty amazing. Well, this is the thing. Like, and if you, I guess if you have athletes listening to this podcast, like I was really, and this is just my own personal, what was right for me. But I didn't want to go on the pill or, you know, because yeah. athletes are often told to go on the pill, regulate your cycle, you know, all these and especially, you know, like so you can manage comp day and you can, you know. Yeah. So I really didn't want that. And same with caffeine. I didn't drink coffee when I was competing. I love coffee, but I didn't because I wanted to be able to dial up and dial down my own arousal levels and be completely in control of that and not have any other thing that altered that, that I had to be able to control it. So yeah, my one of my first thoughts was, <laughs> oh, my God. oh my period. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh. So then he put me down, and then I ran. Someone gave me a flag, and then I ran around the stadium and found my family. Mm. But it wasn't until I walked out back out into the, you know, back area, and 
the drug testing woman was there mm. and she was reading me my rights. And I, you know, I mean, I had heard it that many times. I didn't even, wasn't listening to what she was saying, but she was just like, you know, hi, Lauren, I'm here and I need to stay with you now to the blah, 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 blah. And I just sunk down against the wall in the corridor. And I think that's when it sunk in. Mm. That's when I was like, oh, my God, I did it. I just, oh, my God, I just won Melon yeah. Gold Medal. And it really just, um, yeah, that's when it kind of hit me. Not not out on the on the map so much. Yeah, because mm. that's kind of, I don't know, it's hard to process it in that moment. It's in the quiet moments that you're able to go, oh, man. I just did it. Like I yeah. actually did what yeah. I wanted to do. I just got goosebumps again. But can I just say, <laughs> I need to go back to, <laughs> just give me a moment. <laughs> it's the best like first thought post gold medal <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't I mean, often talk about it. I do when I'm in like often groups of women or, but I, lately I've been hearing, you know, things with athletes and periods and no. the pill and, uh, you know, if people have that, that's their choice. That's totally, absolutely fine. But no, but it, for me, because I went on the pill when I was 15 for that exact reason, mm. because I would taper and I'd get my yes. period and I didn't want to have to deal with that. I didn't want to have to deal with tampons and worrying that a tampon yes. string was going to be hanging out of my bathers and warm up. <laughs> yeah, like, bathers. Like, yeah, it's exactly. like everyone's worst, like every female's worst nightmare is that to happen, yeah. right? Exactly. Exactly. But like the fact that not only yeah. were you, you had it while you won an Olympic gold medal is remarkable. It shows that there's another way of doing it, but also that you lost all that weight and, and reached that weight in a healthy way. Yes, that's right. Because yeah. you had your period, you know. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I never, so even when I was, you know, cutting for different weight divisions, I never lost my period. So, and that's what often can happen when, you know, women, girls are underweight or they're not eating enough or, you know, they are training at such high levels and they're not fueling themselves properly. So, you know, I was very particular about, also, I think maybe even because, because I was vegetarian, I was told by many people that I couldn't do it, um, so, you know, I had diet, there was a dietitian at the VIS who said, there's just no way you can do it. I had a Chinese medicine guy tell me I would die. Wow. <laughs> and I just was like, I know I can. You're like, and that's because, a lot, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, and probably then I would have been like, well, as long as I die after I win, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was so focused on winning. Um, but I also, you know, I, I was really particular about getting protein and, you know, I had, one of my favourite sponsors was an organic vegetable shop. And so, you know, I would eat, like I just ate so much. I was eating like I could barely chew anymore often just with the amount of vegetables I was eating. I was really organised. I was always, you know, prepping meals. And so I, I think in some ways, you know, I you know, I took it very seriously mm. to make sure that I was, you know, not, um, yeah, that I would just had everything that I needed. And to prove everybody wrong, obviously. <laughs> And to prove it, yeah. Well, I, I because I hadn't eaten meat since I was three, I couldn't actually do that. So even now, like I cook a lot. I love food. It's and I studied nutrition, naturopathy, so it's a big part of who I am. But my kids eat meat. My husband eats meat. I've had no problem cooking it. I love, you know, I do meal plans for a childcare centre, and I have meat in all the, you know, there's so much what they have to meet requirements. So I don't have a problem with meat. I think as long as people know where where it comes from, that kids know what it is that they're exactly. eating and you get good quality meat, it, I really don't have a problem with it. 
but I just can't eat it. <laughs> but also I can't eat it. Um, I just physically can't eat it. And I've thought about it before and tried to, you know, thought about eating fish. Or I licked a prawn once. That was as far as I got. <laughs> You're like a four-year-old. I, like, yeah, I can do seafood. Yeah, exactly. Trying new food. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so, yeah. so you've won gold. You say you never got back on the mat again. How did, like, how... How did you decide what to do next? Like what was that process for you? You obviously kind of were starting to find your passions outside yes. of Yes, well, I, oh, I always had a lot of passions outside of um, sport. And in many ways I was kind of just waiting until it was over so I could finally do all the other stuff that I wanted to do. I mean, I'm very, I've always, my probably my biggest problem in all of my life always is doing too many things because I get too excited about them. So that's like that me, was, you know, even in, yeah. Even right, in, Shani, there's so many things to I do. Know, yeah. yeah. Me, me, me. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I can, I can. And then it's like, oh no, I can't. Actually. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so part, when I got going back to, I said with the VIS, so when I got a scholarship with the Victorian Institute of Sport, one of the, programs that they had there was the athlete career and education program and I don't know if you know Deirdre Anderson so yes. she headed up that program and then she went to the um, sports commission she's been working with you know high performance athletes for years and most recently with the softball team for Tokyo but she headed up that program and she was really passionate about it and so she said to me you need to have something Mm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, fine, cool, I will. Well, after sport, then I'll work that out, you know. And she was like, because I was like, I'm doing this right now. And then exactly. You know. uh, <laughs> yeah. she's like, uh-uh, you have to have it now. And, you know, what you know, what do you want to do? What are things you're interested in? And I said I'd always wanted to do naturopathy. And I knew then I couldn't go back to doing art school or anything at that point, but I, I was always had wanted to do naturopathy as well. So she said, oh, we'll just go and look at doing a class subject and I was like oh no I've looked into it it's a private uni and it's like it's $250 for a subject like I don't have $250 mm. to pay for a subject so there's just no way and I have to do a bridging course in chemistry because I didn't do chem in year 12 or whatever and she just said that's all right I'll write you a check and she just wrote me a check for $250 wow said, you go sign up for that chemistry course and then I had to do it because she'd given me this check and so I went and did that course and I came back and I was like oh my god I just loved it it was amazing you know now I need to do the next one but I can't afford it look thanks so much for supporting me but I just can't do it and so she wrote me another check wow and did this next course and then after that I came back and I was like I've got it it's okay I can I now prioritized that in my life and you know I was you know, Taekwondo, we didn't have any funding really. And we I certainly at that point didn't have my $42 a week mm. or my, my organic food sponsor. So I was working, paying for my, you know, I was living out of home, so I was paying for all my rent and bills and everything. I was paying for any trips that we went on and then to pay uni fees up front, like because it was private, we didn't have hex or anything. So, but somehow I just made it work. Mm. And so I just prioritised this money and... I just started and it's just so I think sometimes, you know, you need to be gently nudged in a direction and sometimes you actually need to be driven there and kicked out the door and that's mm. what I feel like she did with me. Like she didn't take no for an answer. 
if I had have said I didn't like it and I didn't want to do it, she probably wouldn't have pushed me, but she was like, I know this is what you want to do and you can do it alongside sport. Yeah. And she made me ask a lot of questions around, you know, can I be flexible with hours? Can I defer from subjects and things like that that helped me choose a university that was going to support my training. And, and that's ended, that ended up, I started at Endeavour College and that's what happened. I was able to take on more subjects when I was in Melbourne and when I was travelling I could defer or, you know, change things around. So I feel like when I finished at the Games, I was halfway through my degree. Mm. I I was so passionate about what I was learning because I was implementing it into what I was doing anyway. So all of the nutrition and herbs and supplements and, mm. you know, it was all about creating vitality. How do you create vital force in your body? So that was what I was, want- you know, I just wanted to be my best. So I was experimenting on myself. Yeah. And so, you know, I really, I just feel like I owe her so much and that program for supporting athletes to have something something else and it could have been injuries I could have stopped because of injuries because I had so many um it just happened that my knee kind of limped into the (laughs) into the the final of the games (laughs) into the final and that's why I stopped like if I had if my knee would have done another four years I I would have stayed but I just knew that I didn't have that much it wouldn't have done another quad and I didn't want to I really just wanted to be aiming for the Olympics. Yeah. Um, So in terms of finishing and then moving on to other things, I felt like I had a really strong base, but then I never expected to have, you know, I guess what happened after the Games, to have all of that media attention and the spotlight that was put on me and the sport. I just never expected that because we'd never had anything like that. Mm. So everyone just said to me, Milk it for what it's worth. Say yes to everything. Ride the way. Do speaking for a year. Do that. So I was like, all right. So I just said yes to everything and I was everywhere doing, you know, like speaking jobs all over the country and international, you know, here and there, everywhere. And then it didn't really, it didn't stop. Mm. (laughs) So it was probably five years later, I think, when I really kind of had that big moment of self-reflection. Um, and then I was like, actually, this speaking stuff's continued and who am I now that I'm not Lauren the Taekwondo girl? Um, yeah, right. I haven't done Taekwondo for five years, actually, <laughs> but I'm still talking. <sighs> but I felt so connected to the sport that yeah, it was me. That 100%. Was me. And that, and I, yeah. So um, I reckon it's taken me nine years, so you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah fine. Five years fine. is great. <laughs> yeah, and I guess in some ways it never, you know, I'm still 22 years and I'm still doing speaking and doing all of that sort of thing so so what do you um, what what was the steps for you so obviously you got that degree of naturopathy and mm-hmm. you've got, obviously got a PhD now as well so yes, what yes. I mean just a just a little thing called a PhD you're yeah. really you're really <laughs> not a high performer at all no. <laughs> like what was the process between you know those next steps for you and then putting that into obviously your speaking but also into your work as well? Oh, well, there's been a lot of iterations around all of that time. And I, and I think in, in many ways the longevity we're speaking has been because when I first started in that first year I was just sharing my story and experience, whereas after that time I really shaped everything around how the audience could then 
apply that to their own lives yeah. because what I found was there was so much feedback of people going oh my god that's amazing like oh I can't believe you did that but they didn't really get the point that I was trying to make around what that would mean for them yes so that sort of was my focus a lot more um as I continued with with speaking and then I've just been I, I guess it's I don't even know where to start because it's such a long time frame I've just been so passionate about all the things I've been doing. So, you know, naturopathy and then I never I practiced a little bit, but I found that I was always speaking so much and traveling that it was hard to be, you know, set in one place in a clinic. Yeah. Uh, but I've sort of weaved it into different things. And then I got the opportunity to well, I was teaching the medicinal food science at uni. So I was teaching in the naturopathy degree. And then I needed to be qualified in a degree higher than my degree, which was a Bachelor of Health Science. So I was looking at master's programs and then my mentor, uh, Lisa, had said, oh, you should talk to Professor Mark Cohen. He's got this study he wants to do with athletes. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do anything with athletes. I'm over that. I'm not even into sport. Nothing to do with sport. (laughs) Nothing to do with athletes. Like, no way. And, And she's like, no. Anyway, she mentioned it a couple of times and finally Mark and I connected and his study was basically looking at athletes and organic food and it was to do a clinical trial to see whether, you know, the difference between having an organic diet and a conventional diet would have performance-enhancing effects. So is eating less poison good for you is kind of the crux of it. And, you know, is it does it affect cognitive function? Does it affect reaction time? Mm. You know, all of those sorts of things. So... Then I heard that and I was like, oh, that's totally me. That, cool. I want to do that. Yes. So, so that's what you were doing anyway team. while you were an athlete, it basically. Was, exactly. Mm. It's exactly what I was doing. It couldn't have been more me. It was like mm. you'd written it for, for me. Signed my life away and then we never got, like funding never happened and that study never happened, which is really research. I mean, the journey of mm. research is fluid. And so I ended up kind of specialising more in athlete lifestyle and mindset, which I can sort of briefly touch on. But that five years, so it was a master's and then PhD, but I would say that that's probably been doing that PhD and running a business and running a family. (laughs) That was the hardest thing I've Mm. ever done in my life. Like in terms of mental health, that final year or two, and because I finished in lockdown as well, was just super hard because I didn't have all of the endorphins that you get from sport. Like even when sport was hard, there was like this still this incredible rush and skill acquisition that you have where you can really execute things in a way that gives you such a buzz. Yeah. So it was really, really tough because the last part was just grueling and it was just riding up work and you know so it wasn't the theoretical aspect necessarily that I was sort of more passionate about or interviewing athletes or doing all the things that are part of it that were more enriching um it was just long stretches sitting at a computer (laughs) and but in in other ways I guess what it taught me and was how to mirror sometimes doing hard things with my kids, you know, like so we were doing in lockdown um, in Melbourne, you know, we had so much lockdowns during COVID. 
And so they'd be doing their work and I'd be sitting on, you know, writing up my thesis and they'd be like, we don't want to do this. And I'd say, well, you know, I don't want to do my thing either. Let's just like smash it out for an hour and then we'll go do something else. Yeah. Or, you know, they kind of got to see me doing something that was really rewarding mm. and that I really wanted to do. But it was really also really bloody hard. It was really bloody hard. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, that's I guess we talk about experiential avoidance. That's something that, you know, all those things that are hard we you know, they all those things that we want to do sometimes have a harder path, mm. but it's our natural body's reaction to not want to do those yeah, things. Yeah, to avoid it. Really Absolutely. Yeah, they're horrible. Yeah, yeah. I just want yeah. to be But now I feel like it's everything kind of has come together and all those aspects of nutrition, naturopathy, and all of the things that I studied, my life as an athlete, um, and then the PhD studies have sort of culminated in a really nice kind of mix. I feel like everything's a lot more synergistic at the moment. Yeah, because you've just launched your Flourish program. Can you tell us about that? Because yes. that sounds amazing. Yeah, so I've been doing, well, I've been doing some personal coaching. So that's been amazing. And, you know, I've got a really wide variety of clients who come to me about all different things and we work on, you know, what they need. So I've developed a lot of worksheets and things that will challenge them and, and get them to do some work to that then we can really focus on what it is they need. So I always start with a health assessment mm. um, because that's my background and then I can support them nutritionally through that or if they have, you know, greater health conditions, I can, I've got a really great network I can refer to. Um, and then Flourish, though, is a little bit more about that's a group, group session. So that's four live sessions over um, four consecutive weeks. So I feel like, yeah, everything is coming together and I'm able to share things in different ways, whether it's, you know, speaking engagements to a school or community groups or whether it's in, you know, these private coaching sessions or the flourish groups. It's, um, yeah, it's been great. And obviously with athletes, like I still work with athletes in different ways and um like I said, I never wanted to touch sport again. Or, but then now I'm really ready to be back in that space. Yeah. And with GMR that I yes. we've done together. The gold medal so, ready program. Oh, yeah, okay. just so fantastic to be working with athletes and sharing. I love that, you know, sharing stories because I think it's such a powerful way to convey knowledge and mm. memories. People listen to stories and they're like, oh, that resonates. And, you know, it's often at, yeah, often at the games where they might not have, it might not have resonated when they're sitting at the AIS in a conference room and someone's telling a story, but then they're at the village and they're like, oh, yeah, Libby said that and she mm. felt this here and then it makes more sense or yes. when they're about to walk out and they're feeling nervous and they're like, ah, oh, I remember Jodie Henry talking about that and it, it kind of it's they have those recollections of those stories and yeah, um, I think it's so powerful. Yeah, but that's what I love about what you're doing now is that, as you said, you're kind of culminating all of the skills and abilities and knowledge that you've had over such a long period of time, both as an elite athlete and through your studies and your work since, and you're able to holistically help people in across all facets, right? Because it's not just one element that actually then allows people to go and achieve more in work or in family or connections or relationships or whatever. It's like all mm. things need to be working together well. And I think people forget that. That's it's like, right. it's like, oh, I just want to set a goal and make it. And it's like, cool. Mm. But how are you supporting that nutritionally? How are you supporting that through rest? How are you supporting that 
through all of those and we're at different phases different phases in our lives we need different things you know it's very different a 20 year old out of uni to you know a new mum or yes. a mum who's just had a you know third or fourth kid and you know that there's juggling all these things in family life or someone who's in their you know 60s so you know I love to set people up with long-term plans as well and you know I think sometimes goal setting and planning people find really overwhelming mm. but I like to think of them as always fluid I think of them like mercury like they move and flow and plans are meant to be changed and adapted but by putting them down putting all of your thoughts down um, and setting and they can be inspiring like big holidays you want to do you know investments you want to make or financial security or you know we want to have this great trip to wherever or we family trip or whatever it might be then it's putting it out it's it and it's actually taking away that mental clutter of yes. oh, I've got to organize that it's like well actually that's not going to happen for three years because there's we've got this and we've got this and you can sort of see it in a plan and if you come back to that that big long 10 or 20 year plan you can kind of see how it maps out yeah and you can see these life stages and I often think about you know I'm in my late 40s and you know I think about the woman that I want to be in 10 years Mm. what what am I doing now for her and so for me because I've been so stagnant lately sitting at a computer doing my PhD I promised myself that I was going to get a really kick-ass PT and like I really weight training is really important to me and it's important because I love it yes um but also it's great for bone density and strength and you know and you know, I don't want to be the older woman that's falling over and breaking it. And I've got all these old injuries. So I've been in the gym lately. I'm loving it. But mm. that was in my plan when I was studying and sitting at the computer. I could do, I was exercising, but I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do because I was too busy in this sort of this study phase. But now I'm able to do that. Yes. And it was like I put that in my plan. I reward, you know, it was, it was like a reward of being able to go, okay, now I've set aside this time and this is actually my priority. Mm. Like right now my priority is my health because we were locked down for such a long time. And so, you know, I put things in my diary that I just, they're just non-negotiable. Mm. <laughs> Unless they're like a big a speaking job that I can just move those things around. But, you know, I just my health has, has been such a priority and it's so invigorating. But that's all part of that, having that plan and knowing how to be able to say no to things, what to say yes to and what to say no to. It's a very powerful, it is. powerful thing. It is, 100%, yeah. because I, I don't think people spend enough time being intentional with that energy and, yes. you know, consistently going, actually, this is what the perfect day or the perfect week kind of looks like. This is what I would like to be able to do and this is the woman that I want to be in 10 years' time and how am I nourishing myself, how am I supporting mm-hmm. myself to reach that goal. And like you said, it's funny because, you know, when you were an athlete it was like I'm going to win a gold medal and that's it. It's like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's an immovable force, it's an immovable goal because mm-hmm. that's, uh, I don't know, I think that's the nature of high-performance sport. But the real world is so different and it is fluid and you yeah. might start to do something and you go, oh, actually, I'm not interested in that or there's a very specific part of that that I'm interested in, so I'll go down on that tangent. Mm. But it it is about consistently being intentional with that energy. Yeah, and as an athlete you 
you are very selfish because you have to be. And so those things, you do make time for sleep or massage or physio or recovery. You have to make time for those. Yes. Whereas when we have busy lives, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I've got to pick up the kids and I've got to do that and I don't have time. And it's like busy life gets in the way. Um, so being having that intention and making it, the you know, really non-negotiable. And, you know, I did my values. I really set set them out a long time ago. It was probably when I first really did them, I reckon it was about 15 years ago. And I have that the, pop up on my computer every Monday and I have ways that they pop into my life. And I always think about, you know, does this align with my values? Yes. Now, one of my values is movement. Yes. If I don't move, I am not as good a parent, yep. a good a partner, <laughs> good a, my work. So if I don't move in some way and it can just be going for a walk to the end of the street, then, you know, I'm just not as so understanding that that actually helps me and then it helps everyone else around me mm. and I'm, you know, I'm happier, I'm more productive, I'm, everything is better if I move. So yeah. just understanding that it is a core value that is integral to me in mm. my life. Oh, I feel like I could speak to you for forever, but I'm going to leave you with two more <laughs> questions. Two more questions. Yes. Um, one, it's a question that I love to ask everyone. Um, what was the moment for you within your sport, within Taekwondo, that you were most proud of? And it's not the, well, I mean, it can be <laughs> the gold medal in Sydney, obviously, but sometimes it's those quieter moments that you're really particularly proud of that maybe not many people saw behind the scenes. Like one actual moment? Yeah, it could be one moment or just in general, like a general thing that you're really proud of. Well, I think the general thing would be that sense of being a knowledge seeker. So always, and I think further to that is that I sought out people and those people, like I would never have won the gold medal without those support staff and, you know, the people that were really important to me. Mm. And so it was seek. So I was obviously, you know, given people, the people that, you know, my coach and as part of the team that come and go, whoever is on. But the ones that I really sought out as well and forged these incredible connections with, there's just no way I would have done it without them. So I think that if I put it onto myself, it's that seeking, but creating those connections because that was that was paramount. Yes. I just I love it. Sorry, I was I was fist pumping while you were talking because I just I think it's the most powerful thing is to ask for help and to seek yeah. knowledge from other people and other people's experiences and learn and constantly grow and evolve from those lessons that you are the mm-hmm. connections you're creating. I love that. So and people much. there's a lot of people out there that are way more you know, they're more qualified and intelligent than I am about all these different, you know, like my strength and conditioning coach, Tony Hewitt, was just unbelievable. Like what he had me doing as this tiny little 49-kilo human that was lifting these incredible weights. Like it was incredible. I felt like I, when I walked into that ring, I was probably the smallest I'd ever been as an adult, but I felt like I was a 10-foot-tall warrior <laughs> woman. Um, you know, I had two different sports sites. Both were just gave me this incredible knowledge and practice and it was unbelievable. My physio, like my coach, everyone, my club coach, just so many people that contributed to, you know, everything on that mind, body, spirit level. I love that. Such a good answer. And the final question, what would you recommend athletes who are 
kind of going through that phase of change and transition and, you know, working out what to do in the next steps post-sport? Well, I think really I love doing mind maps. So I love to start when you're looking at things, when you're a little bit uncertain in your life. Um, I mean, like I said, I love plans and, you know, long 20-year plans and things like that. But I also love starting with something, being really creative because mm. that connects you to what is, you know, what you really enjoy doing. And so to have no holds barred on doesn't have to go anywhere it's just a creative process and just writing down all the things you love doing and um, you can even do bubbles around you know like what my family life and my friendships and my you know social connections and what you know vocationally what I like doing in my career or it, you know schooling or hobbies or you know whatever it might be just write all these things down travel where do you want to go and then that gets you inspired mm. And so I think from that then you can start thinking, oh, yeah, that's right, I always wanted to do this course or I always wanted to do that or, yes, there's this thing right in front of me but is that what I want to be doing right now? Yes. And it can kind of give you an expansiveness and an in, in sort of, I don't know, it's motivating, I think, to do that. And then from yeah. that big mind map you can start to craft things. But I would, you know, not get caught up in doing what someone else thinks you should do or um (laughs) or yeah you know just I think we can get so stuck by even I've come out now I need to get a proper job so I can buy a house and have you know Mm. well maybe you don't want to do that right now maybe it's not the right time to do that maybe you need to have a gap here and go and travel and do whatever that you know so it's by just putting things out there and being creative and doodling and writing it all out and everything you want to do and then you can start thinking oh that might be sooner that might be later let's yeah or you know I know so and so who works here oh maybe I'll go talk to them about you know doing something with them at some point yeah and and asking yourself too like who am I without my sport and then looking at that who am I if I don't so I still have that or I still am you know I'm still Lauren who has done Taekwondo but fundamentally who am I and who do I want to be like Mm. what are the things that really nourish me and you know engage me in my life and what do I want to do without any society pressure yeah and so that's sort of what I think I'd I'd start with strip away that because we get very tied to our sport yeah yeah as our define it defines us yeah 100% And so, you know, when you take that away, what are your real answers? And I think that's the thing is to do that for yourself and not it's not something you're going to show your coach, your plan or anyone. It's for you. Yeah. <laughs> because really we have one life and it's ours to design to yes. have a lot of choice. Well, especially, you know, living in this country, we can make a lot of choices and do things. So, And then if it's not the right time or there's other thing, obstacles that are really practical that you kind of have to do, like maybe halfway through a degree, well, what, yeah, do you want to finish that? Yes, I want to finish it. So, okay, well, let's just get that done. Yes. And then let's look at these things but sort of have that big, expansive, inspiring vision first, I think is that would be my advice. Oh, that's just 
I think one of the best answers we've had to that question. <laughs> so good, Loz. Thank you so much for your time. It's just such a pleasure. Oh, um, yeah, Thanks to- for having me. I'm glad we finally got to do I know. We finally got to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to, in our show notes, I'm going to put um, links to all of your programs and the things that, um, you know, you're doing at the moment. So, so if people want to listen and learn more about what you're doing, um, you can find them in the show notes. But, oh, thank you. But, Loz, thank you. That was just, I, yeah, oh. I feel like I could talk to you for, forever. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today with Lauren. She is so incredible in so many different ways. I just love that she was kind of basically starting her next career while she was being an athlete, even though, you know, it wasn't necessarily a linear progression. You could see how what she was learning and the skills she was applying as an elite athlete easily transitioned into her life after sport. And I really, I just love hearing those sorts of stories and seeing what she's been able to create through all of that knowledge and learning throughout her whole life now. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have uh, any ideas about people uh, to join on the show, message me on Instagram at all that glitters pod. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, like, subscribe, all those doodads. Um, I'd really appreciate it. And otherwise, I hope everyone has a glorious week.